All right, here we go. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Erich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside. And I'm so thrilled to bring a new guest to you today, Dr. Aliza Pressman. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. You have a phenomenal book that's coming out this week, the week that this podcast airs called The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans, which is also the name of your podcast, Raising Good Humans. Phenomenal podcast, top ranked. And you have got quite the sheet here of accomplishments (laughs) and all of these things that you've done and places that you've worked and I mean this is incredible can you tell us a little bit of your story you say your love affair with developmental psychology started before you even became a mom yeah it was kind of wild I was in graduate school and I wasn't even officially in a graduate program I was taking a class on developmental psychology and I was like what this is a whole field of just like understanding how we come to be who we are and how our early experiences shape us and how we change over time, sign me up. (laughs) And I just fell in love. Like it was so, I love it so much. And even yesterday, somebody said to me, um, I was at a birthday and somebody said to me, you probably don't want to work right now. I just had one, one thing I wanted to ask about, about what you do and this field and my child and whatever it was. And I was like, this is what I love talking about. There is no part of me that distinguishes between a conversation I would be having other than the confidentiality of work and a cocktail party, because it's all so fascinating. I mean, the human condition is pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. And you can tell you're fascinated by it in this book. And so you're talking about the five principles of parenting. People are going to have to pick it up to learn all five, but we're going to be talking (laughs) about a few of those today. But can we start with, I love that you have these, there was two really cool nature metaphors in here. And since this is the 1000 hours outside podcast, I figured we could start there. You talk about trees, trees, social beings, they recognize their own kin and favor them, our roots. You say, imagine yourself as a mother tree. How can this metaphor and imagery help us as parents? Because Imagining ourselves as this mother tree where our roots are firmly placed in the ground gives us such freedom to, you know, we want to sway with the wind and the weather, but we don't want to break. And having our children recognize this about us, that we are movable enough to remain the flexible beings that we have to be to thrive, but we are still sturdily rooted in the ground. Now that gives anybody, whether it's a relationship with an adult or a child, especially a child, a real sense of ease and confidence and sometimes dysregulation because they don't like the fact that you are so fully planted, but there is safety in that. And if you can really picture yourself and I do this, I mean, that's why I wrote that. Sometimes you just have to take a breath and just imagine yourself in this way, especially when you are feeling like the winds are getting pretty crazy and you don't really know if you feel sturdy. And we all have that capacity. And as parents, we have to really hold that up. And then I just love the idea that it's so beautiful to me that we are sort of in this community, that there's this canopy of trees that are caring for the young and that we're not just in it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. It is beautiful. One of my favorite sentences in the book was something like, 
if you have time to breathe, yeah, <laughs> you have time to breathe deeply or, or something like that. Yeah. That is a great sentence because like, oh, well, yeah, right. I do. I do have time to breathe. <laughs> this is doable. Yeah. Because I really, I, I didn't want to do something that was burdensome for parents. I wanted to make things as attainable as possible, especially when you're raising younger kids, but even all through adolescence, like nobody has time. Right. So we put certain things on the back burner, like reflection. We definitely mm -hmm. put breathing on the back burner. It seems like it's too slow, <laughs> but of course we're doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. And its power is so profound that it's like one of those things where in the book, every single thing that I respond to and all the challenges that we kind of go over, they all start with breathing. And I say, no, you can't skip that first step. <laughs> Right. And it seems so silly, but if anybody just tries like walking into a room, but just taking a breath first, like a real deep breath, it just changes your nervous system and it changes the way you're going to interact. It's going to change the way you respond to spilled milk and it's going to change the way the people around you feel. And it's free. It's free and it's quick. So free and quick means every parent can do it. Yeah. And I almost wonder sometimes if it just seems too simple. Yes. And that's why we don't pay too much attention to it, because we live in a world with this exuding technology that is so beyond our comprehension. You think there's no a breath, <laughs> but truth be told, mm -hmm. and you have a lot of information about that in this book, which is so important about the parasympathetic nervous system and different ways. Easy, easy, including being in nature. So I thought that was really awesome. Including being in nature. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're doing a service getting everybody out there because the truth is that I think you're right. It's too simple. And so it doesn't feel like it's, if it's too simple, it feels like we can skip it or it doesn't really matter, except we have been skipping it and it's really mattered. Yeah. People have been struggling. Mental health has been just so depleted and the things that we think are the solutions are so overwhelming. And look, there are some things we just can't do, or you might also need all sorts of other support systems, but there's a bare minimum of things that we can do that can really bolster our wellness and mental health, which makes us much more available to be the parents that we want to be for our kids. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful and so important. The other metaphor that was a nature metaphor that I loved was about the sheep and I never have heard this before or thought about it, where you talked about it. And it was a, a quote from someone that talked about- Russell Barkley, yeah. Oh, tell us about, this is so good. Um, it's such a great quote. I almost want to pull it. Of course, where is my book? I can read it. I have it here. Oh, great. And it's on page 91. So for whoever picks the book up this week <laughs> or next week or whenever you listen to this, page 91, you are the shepherd. You don't design the sheep. Shepherds are powerful people. They pick the pastures. They determine- where to be appropriately nourished. They determine whether they are protected from harm. The environment is important, but it does not design the sheep. No shepherd is going to turn a sheep into a dog. Ain't going to happen. And yet, this is what we see parents trying to do all the time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Why are we doing that? I think we feel like we really, really, really want to get this right. Yeah. And we really, really, really want to do the best we can for our kids. And sometimes, we really, really, really want to control it because that feels like safe. Like if I can control this, then I'm going to do it the best. And I, unfortunately, while I've really, truly never in my almost two decades of doing this, I've never seen a parent who does not love their child and want all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. 
that doesn't mean that our approach to it is always necessarily the most healthy because maybe we didn't learn a healthy approach when we were parented, or maybe we have a lot of pressure and ideas about the expectations on us that we need to impose on our kids in order to be validated as like great parents or our kids to get the support and validation that they're going to need to be happy people, but it always gets in the way. So I think it's a nice time since the transition to parenthood and being a parent gives us so much motivation to open our minds to trying out how, you know, like how to do this better. We just are always trying to do it better. And I think one of the ways to do it better is to let go and stop trying so hard to get all of the things to be so micromanaged. And I think we need to accept temperament is a real thing and who you are. Like you don't design the sheep. You cannot. The other metaphor is a flowers in a garden is that you're not planting a particular seed and then trying to grow a different flower. You would not plant an orchid and grow a dandelion. It just wouldn't happen. So if we can start to frame for ourselves, like I'm raising the flower that I have, I'm not trying to raise a totally different plant. So given that, how am I raising this human? It really does. And then you can kind of quiet the noise of the have to's and the shoulds for anybody else and really focus on this child and your values and this relationship. And it it's actually, you know, yet again, a lot easier than doing it the other way, but sometimes easy feels like it's not enough. Yes. Easy feels wrong. Like to say to let go is opposite of, I think, what we would intuitively yeah. think we should do, which is we should do more. So you say one of the ways to do it better is <laughs> to do less. Yeah. And I think that that's also when we're hard on ourselves as mothers in particular, like we want to show love through doing mm -hmm. and we can show love through being in relationship. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really stuck out to me in this book was this premise that we get to grow here. And I really liked how you framed that up. It definitely changed the way we look at it from, oh, like this is so irritating. I'm so frustrated. My blood pressure's through the roof. And you word it like this. I love this, Dr. Eliza. We get multiple opportunities every day. <laughs> <laughs> to disarm our stress system, like, to look at these things. And it is really, it's true, right? This is our opportunity for a large, expansive growth. And this was a theme that went all the way throughout the book was focusing on our own parental growth. And then you talked about how when we grow, it impacts our children's brains too. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I, I think the best example of that is when I'm talking about regulation, but it, it is true in almost every category of growth that we would have as adults. But regulation is this process of, we would think of it as self-regulation, but I call it regulation because it's also co-regulation, which is when we are able to manage our own emotions and thoughts and expressions of them in order to sort of meet our goals, which is self-regulation in a nutshell, we now have bolstered our children's capacity to regulate when they do not have a fully developed brain and they don't have capacity to capture their nervous system with such control and ease as we have capacity to. And we still don't, as we all know, and we get many opportunities a day to um, kind of remind ourselves how 
how hard it is to regulate. <laughs> and so when you remember that, you work on your own regulation and you see, oh my God, I don't need to, you know, like, I think the best example just concretely would be when a parent comes to me and they say, I think my child gets so dysregulated constantly. And like, I need your help teaching them to be more regulated. And I am like, okay, totally hear you. And that is very, that is a very typical thing that people come to me to talk about, but how great to find out that one of the best ways that you can help teach your child about regulation and growing that capacity is through growing, growing your own, because then you actually benefit mm -hmm. your, as a person now, just getting much, feeling much better about your parenting and your personing because is personing a word? It is today. <laughs> um, because you're making intentional responses because you are regulating yourself. And in being able to take that pause and regulate, you have the freedom to choose what kind of parent you want to be. And your child picks up on that, co-regulates. So they borrow your nervous system. And here you didn't have to ask anything of them. Mm -hmm. And we can't control them. So it, it's, to me, very convenient that a lot of the things that we can do are in our control. To me, that's like, you know, imagine if somebody said you could help give somebody arm muscles by doing push-ups yourself. That's nice. If you love someone and you could give them arm muscles by doing push-ups yourself, that is a very nice gesture. <laughs> and that's what co-regulation is. And so when we put that on us, we benefit and our kids benefit. And I feel like all of the five principles could be translated into many different areas, not just parenting, but parenting is the one we care the most about. And it's the one we're motivated to understand and to do. So all the benefits come to us, but you can't find a mother that's going to be like, take time for yourself, for you, but you can, if it's by the way, it's going to benefit your child. What a reframe. <laughs> I do love it. I mean, I have this bolded on my paper. Here's my opportunity. <laughs> and then when you do have a mistake, a moment, a misstep, you get to be self-compassionate and say, okay, this was inevitable. This is going to happen. And I forgive myself and I can have a path forward. I guess I'm going to get to try it again Yeah, <laughs> for we a can. long time, for a long time. <laughs> to become a better parent is to become a better person. There is nothing wrong with using the motivation of parenthood to work on ourselves. This all struck a chord with me and how our brains are growing when we become parents. It doesn't matter if it's biological, it's just caregiving. So fantastic information in there about our own personal growth. And back to the regulation, because that was one of the parts that I took a lot of notes on, the self-regulation, the co-regulation, this sentence, because I feel this. <laughs> Everyone always says, no one can make you feel anything, right? No one can make you feel a certain way. Yeah. And you say that's kind of untrue. And I, I mean, I felt it. Yeah. Why is that kind of untrue? It's such a weird thing that has been said since I was a kid, certainly. I don't even know when it started. But when you walk into a room of people who have been laughing, don't tell me that you aren't going to start laughing or feel smiley and you don't even know the joke because you're kind of catching their nervous system. And sim similarly, if somebody is sitting there screaming at someone else and then they get silent and you walk in, you know something's weird in that room. You just know, because we're humans are not, we, we are not isolated as one on a planet. We're so interconnected. So of course, 
of course you're going to take on feelings of other people. Now, obviously you get to decide what to do with those feelings and that is on you. But this is an asinine idea that like nobody can make you feel a certain way. I I mean, yeah, be a person and tell me a time that someone's nervous system didn't impact you and I will find you a person who is not paying attention. <laughs> Yes. Everyone's nervous system responds. Like, yes, I have felt this my whole <laughs> life. And especially in our homes, you say kids are really wired to be attuned to our emotional states. So what you talk about is having a passcode, the passcode of self-regulation. What are some things that we could do when we recognize that our body is sounding the alarm? What are some things that we can do to fix that before we interact with our kids in a way that we might regret? So I think, you know, I talk about this passcode because I lived, I'm from New York. So I lived in New York City and then I moved to California into a house a few years ago. And in New York City, I never had an alarm. And then I got an alarm in in California because I was like, well, now I'm in a house and I, if I scream, there's no neighbor. So like, I think New York, New Yorkers uniquely feel safer in New York, which I'm sure sounds asinine anywhere else. But then I didn't feel safe and I got an alarm system and I came, you know, I set it up the first time and came in the door and there's this slow beeping sound that kind of warns you before the alarm's going to go off so that you can punch in the passcode. And I was like, that is our nervous system. And what we need to do is pay attention when the beeping part happens, which is right before the alarm, right before your stress response. What are the signals in your body? that tell you, you are about to lose your mind. Like what is the signal? For me, my hands clench mm -hmm. and my chest gets a little tight. And I'm like, oh boy, if I don't do something, the mm -hmm. next thing that comes my way is the last thing before I lose it. And so if you can capture it and then punch in your passcode, which for me is a couple of deep breaths with my hand on my heart. It's again, goes back to like, is this truly that simple? Yes. But for other people, I have a list of a bunch of different things because some people respond to different things, but even putting your hands under cold water or sipping, like saying to yourself, when I have this feeling, I'm going to take three sips of water yeah. because you can't have a stress response and drink at the same time. Those are two different things because your body is in fight, flight, or freeze mode it's not going to stop to have a glass of water. So when you stop and have the glass of water or stop to take the breath, it signals to your brain, I'm not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger or a bear or a shark or whatever emergency, because obviously I'm able to take a drink or I'm able to breathe. So, okay, alarm does not have to go off, passcode punched in, the, you know, the fire truck and the police do not need to come. I love it. It's super important and it's just something to practice. Just ask yourself, what are the signals in my body before I tend to lose it? And can I pick one to three things that I do that are the metaphoric passcode so that I don't go from this small signal that I'm about to lose it to losing it? Like, how do I come back? And again, extra bonus, your children benefit. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be like, I need a latte. I mean, it doesn't. It's just simple things. Run your hand under cold water. This is just absolutely brilliant to have these simple things that can change our day to day within our homes. 
I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. When the skies open up, While others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing vessies, stormburst boots, to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com slash outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. And talking about knowing what's going on in our body, what are the signals? You talk about, and I might say it wrong, Dr. Lisa, interoception yeah. And, and I totally said it wrong. Well, we talk a lot about the vestibular sense because that's, you know, the brain is, we got the head out of the upright position and this is happening a lot when we're, our kids are outside. We also talk about proprioception because this is like the push and the pull on the joints. So a lot of that is happening also when kids are in nature. But we, I don't know if we've ever talked about introception. I think if you just, it's so simple that it's, again, it's one of those things, but like when your body knows the relationship between what's happening and what what it's signaling. Well, right. I, I don't know. I don't know if we ever talk about understanding what's going on inside of our bodies. Like you're talking about that right now, but I'm not sure if I've ever talked about that with anyone, really. Because it's sort of like, you know, I, I often can't decide if some of these concepts are too simple or too complicated, but there's something about them that's like, I think it's that they're too simple. It's like, wait, you're telling me that the whole game changes when I pay attention to what my body needs when it's feeling a particular way or what my joints feel like when they 
are in a certain situation and that that has an impact on my emotions. Like mm-hmm. it just feels like how it, to me, it seems so obvious. Like we have a mind body connection, yeah. but it also can feel like it used to be woo woo. Like it used to be that until we had the neuroscience to show us, I think that a lot of this stuff was relegated to kind of mindfulness culture and not the science of how our whole nervous system and existence works in concert with our body and how we interact with other people. And so you really can't, like if you really just took one day and made the decision to pay attention to your physiological responses to the world, just like, don't even think about what your brain, like what thoughts you're having, but actually just pay attention to your body and see if paying attention can give you some predictor about what's happening in your mind. It's kind of mind blowing. Yeah, this is life changing. And if your kids are old enough, like you talk about the co-regulations, you've got your baby, you're holding your baby, you're saying to your baby, it's okay, you're going to be okay. You're doing co-regulation. If you've got older kids, I mean, obviously we've got teens. We talk about this. I mean, I don't, we don't really talk about this. What's going on in your body? You write the space between hunger and anger and other, emo- I mean, people talk about hangry, I guess. Hunger and anger and other emotional responses can be pretty small. So it would be so helpful for our kids to be able to know what their signals are too and to have these tools on hand. I just thought this was absolutely fascinating. Can we pop over to perfectionism? <laughs> yes, we can pop over to perfectionism. And I will also just say while we're popping over, yes. never underestimate the power of re- like recognizing, for example, being hangry. The number of times that we have as adults said or done something that we really wish we hadn't just because we needed a little bite to eat or a sleep or our, our arm was bothering us, it's surprising. And again, it goes back to like, it's too simple. It's actually like, if it were that simple, we would just not have, we would not fall prey to it. So it is something we have to pay a lot of attention to name for our kids, let them get really fluent in this. So they don't have to rewire when they're older and learning this. It's something that can be kind of baked in by paying attention to this kind of thing and naming it and recognizing that this is powerful. Well, I mean, in that vein too, I just think about a childhood. It's like you're taught so many complex things, right? You're taught all of this history. You're taught all of this science, all these chemical formulas, you're taught all this math, but we're not really taught this and this affects us all the time. So it just seems like this would be something that should be high on the list, which is learning what's going on in your body and how to respond in a way that enhances your life and enhances the lives of those around you. So there's a lot to get out of that section out of your book, The Five Principles of Parenting, for sure. Okay, let's go on to perfectionism. You talked about Ariana, and she she brought, the story was like, you know, people are trying to figure out things with their kids, and she brings in this, you know, this elaborate thing, and, and that perfectionism is on the rise, and really, you nail it. What are the dimension of perfectionism? Because I think sometimes... We don't really know. Like, is this perfectionism? And so you've got a lot of baseline foundational information in there. But you say this, perfection may come from a place of love, but it impacts from a place of fear. Can you unpack that a little bit? Sure. So I think there are a number of things, and this is like a 12-hour conversation, so we can't get into all of it. But I would say this, women are more likely to be perfectionistic and women are more likely to be the primary caregiver. So women are much more at risk of this. 
feeling of the responsibility of making everything so exact. Otherwise, it's catastrophic. And there's a difference, just to be clear, between conscientiousness and perfectionism. There's a difference even between excellence and perfectionism. And the reason I say that is I'm not saying don't, like I get the very natural impulse to want to be perfect as a parent. I mean, you have a human that you're responsible for growing. You're going to want to get it as, you know, like perfect as possible. I get it. But I'm trying to think like without getting too far in the weeds of this, in this conversation, first, I want to say, and I mean this deeply for all of us, I recognize that good enough doesn't sound like a high enough bar for a parent because it feels like, come on, I've got to be able to do better than good enough in raising my kid. But good enough in raising our kids is more perfect than perfect because it is burdensome. It is burdensome for our children to think that they are supposed to do everything perfectly. And if you have modeled that, you are modeling for them an unattainable goal. So every time, because I, I understand how perfectionistic thinking is, and I recognize that it can seem like you're underachieving to say good enough, which is why I really want to make it clear that it's actually not just because I'm like, come on, be nice to yourself, but it's actually important for your kids. The thing that is most urgent, I didn't write this book with urgency. There's no good marketing for this book because it's sort of meant not to be a trendy book. It's meant to be like timeless, hopefully timeless and let go of this sense that, you know, if you don't get it right and you don't do it today, that your kids are screwed. Like, I don't want any part of that sort of optimization culture, but the only urgent part I would say for everyone to benefit is to really deeply, deeply have a think about if you had a perfect parent by some miracle and that perfect parent, meaning they, sh they presented as perfect, obviously they were not. What did it feel like to become an adult? Because my guess is it didn't feel great when you found out that you were not capable of meeting the standard of that perfect person who could do it. And why couldn't you if they could? And the truth is as adults, we know damn well why, because they weren't perfect because they were not showing you some things under the hood. That's the urgent thing for that. That's sort of a call to action to all of us that you can be a conscientious, excellent parent, but you cannot be a perfect parent and be a perfect parent. Like it's just no good for anyone. So that's the first thing. And now I forgot. <laughs> I love, maybe it'll come back to you. I, this quote in here by Donald Winnicott, I never heard of, never read. Yeah. Oh, that is really powerful. I would rather be the child of a mother who has all the inner conflicts of the human being than be mothered by someone for whom all is easy and smooth, who knows all the answers and is a stranger to doubt. Yep. Now, Donald Winnicott was a pediatrician back in the day. He actually came up with what now is known, and people don't even necessarily know somebody coined this, but good enough mother. Mm -hmm. That was Donald Winnicott's work. Was this is the baseline for what every child needs. So he actually wrote really beautiful stuff, which goes back to, yes, there's a lot of new science that has changed how we deal with certain things. Like we don't give coffee to newborns now and sure. things like that, but it's not revolutionary. What's revolutionary is that we can access more 
families now. We have more opportunities to reach people through social media, through podcasts, through newspapers, through all the outlets. And the great thing about that is being able to give high quality, supportive content. The downside to it is how does anybody know what high quality supportive content is? And so being able to really think about like, oh, it's not revolutionary. It's just, we have to realize that we're taking in information in different ways now. And also no one was interested, you know, like very rarely are you interested in this until you have kids. I I was, but that was what struck me at that point in my life, in my twenties, when this stuff seemed really interesting. But I think recognizing that this is an existing science that's grown for decades and decades and decades, and it's pretty robust and it is much more simple to be a good enough parent. And it's much harder with all of this content and noise that's making us think maybe there's like an exact right way to respond to each moment or an exact right recipe. And I think once we start to realize that like the longevity of parenting is pretty cool, that we can take the science that matters that's really been around for a long time and continues to get more and more support with neuroscience, that it's not that hard to implement. And it's just like turning down all the noise that's making it feel like we're overwhelmed. And then also probably, and this is in the perfectionist category, because of course you want, you want to do as well as you can and get as much information as you can. But I think making a decision about what your real hopes and dreams are in your family and for raising your kids and recognizing that you can't cover everything. You just can't. So like what really matters to you and focusing on that instead of letting yourself get overwhelmed. And I think the overwhelm, like, let's call it the emotional part is what's overwhelming and exhausting. It's like physically and emotionally exhausting to be a parent, but I don't want it to be exhausting to have to remember all the things that you're supposed to be doing. It's not that much. It's five things. The hard part is just being a person. Mm -hmm. You had just, I love these sentences, practice B plusing it. (laughs) <laughs> go for 80% of what you imagined you could pull off. I feel like that is actually the story of my life is that every single thing, every single time we have somebody come over, I have this lofty idea of what is it going to look like? And then all day I'm like, do, 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 it's going down, it's going down, yeah. it's going down. <laughs> and welcome, welcome. And sorry, it's not what I was hoping for. And I did love the sentence, Dr. Aliza, it was actually one of my favorite sentences in the book where you said, perfectionist parents, tend to want to recover from their perfectionism perfectly. Yes, <laughs> totally. That's a great sentence. <laughs> but really good information there about perfectionism. I know a lot of us struggle with that, especially since we can see that everyone else is making their sourdough bread uh, and it's scored beautifully yeah. and we are still buying bread in a bag from the store. So this is a tricky thing in life. I, so great information there. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. 
Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last minute get together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside 120. Going off of what you just said, which is sort of figuring out what is it that we want. Truthfully, I read, I read this and I was like, why have I never, ever, ever thought about this? <laughs> you said, looking back, how do you want your kids to remember you? Yeah. Like, I, like, I should have thought about that 15 years ago. <laughs> but I think it's one of those things where any time is a good time to start. And yeah. I just tried to put a lot of reflection questions in the book so that, first of all, so there were like concrete ways to do the the stuff that helps us regulate. And also because it's true. If what you want your kids to remember or your teenager, you know, if you're starting today and you have teenagers, if what you want them to remember and think about life is long, hopefully it's really, really long and you get more and more opportunities. And if one of the things that you thought was a core value of what you want them to remember is that you laughed a lot and you forgot to take the time to have the moments to laugh a lot because you were focused on something else that you thought was really important, Mm -hmm. that's a big disconnect. So I just want to make sure everybody takes the time because it is so freeing once you've decided like, how do I want my kids to look back? If I'm living and embodying that more often than not, okay, I didn't make the bread. I didn't. But there might be another person that's like, I want them to remember the smell of the homemade bread that I made. And that would really mean a lot to me because it's visceral and I want that you know, I had that when I was growing up and I just really want that for them, then go ahead and take the time to home make the bread because it matters to you. But don't do anything that doesn't fall into the category of like really having a meaningful purpose because you just don't have time. Who has time for that? It's such a reminder or a first thought of, hey, you should probably think about this. 
was like, oh, well, how would you want them to describe you? I was like, oh, I, I should probably have an answer. Those are really good, good questions, Dr. Lisa. And what they do, similar to a lot of these other things like the cold water, taking the drink, you immediately change your posture yes. toward the world and toward your family. One question, how do you want your kids to remember you? I was like, okay, <laughs> this is really, really helpful. So the book, The Five Principles of Parenting, they all start with R, so it's easy to remember them. And then they lead to resilience, which I thought yes. was, okay, come on, you got six in there, Dr. Aliza, this is fantastic. <laughs> and tons of topics, I just wanna throw these out there so people will know what they're getting into you talking about gratitude autonomy motivation empathy sleep screens grit can we talk about play yeah i basically was like what are all the things that from birth through adolescence that i hear a lot yeah let me put it all under one roof yeah and it is and then you can grab it over the years whenever you need it and put it away when you don't mm -hmm. yeah brain development okay. brain integration executive function here we go but play here's the sentence Delight is right. <laughs> Tell us more. I just, I wanted play in there because we forget how, first, that is how humans learn. We learn through play and especially developing humans. In the optimization culture, I was worried that play kind of, I, I can't tell you the number of times people have said to me, my kid doesn't do anything in preschool, they just play, you know? <laughs> Yay! That's what I would say. <laughs> Hopefully that's all they're doing in kindergarten and first grade as well. <laughs> yeah. And I think that play gets so lost. The research on play is pretty robust and profound. It's so important, if anything, and I brought in a little bit of the science of awe, but we're meant to keep this going for our lives. So I wanted to make sure to take the time to sell play and also give a little guidance on how to play because for some of us, we forgot. Kids don't need to learn how to play, but we need a little help sometimes with how to engage in play in ways that support our kids. And then again, side bonus, it's so good for executive function development. So everything is sort of hilariously, you know, has double purpose. It's just that like for me, knowing and the reason I put it in there was like, I know that it's hard. And I've heard too many parents say like, well, this is, but what do I need to do to help bolster executive function skills? Well, I have the best news. Pretend play is the best way to bolster executive function skills, particularly in young children. So I would rather give play content and then also let you know, by the way, you're not giving anything up. Like if you think signing up for a class is actually going to bolster their executive function skills more than this play, that's not the science. So play to me is both scientifically important and just like quality of life important. And by the way, I'm a terrible player. I'm not playful. It's not my jam. I mean, I, I'll hang with the best of them and I love laughing and I'm a good hang, <laughs> but I don't like play was never my, I was never good at play. I always thought, huh, I need a little help with this. I can delight in my children, but I needed to learn from them. And I needed a lot of the, the reason why I called on a friend of mine who does a lot of beautiful play with kids is because I was thinking somebody else out there is like me who hasn't come up with the creative way to engage in play, but who really wants to be there and play. 
So she, you know, has a lot of activities and, and they stem from, they're rooted in improv games. And those are, I tried to choose things that are free. You don't need specific materials and you can do them anywhere, anytime. Delight is right. There's a quote by a man named John Holt, and I'm going to butcher it, although it's one of my favorite quotes, where he says something like, kids who are living happily and energetically are learning a lot, even if we don't always know what it is. And that's the trade-off, I think, is that sometimes we're not going to know what it is. But I love that you say you're not giving anything up because it sure does feel like that. It sure does feel like if we don't sign up for this, that, and the other thing, we are giving up opportunity is what it feels like. So that is so remarkable and such an amazing reminder for parents. And play goes along with this autonomy. Kids get a little bit of time to themselves and they get to do a little bit of things on their their own. You say, if a kid can carry a twig, let, let them carry the twig, let them do the thing. So that's in this book as well. Just absolutely phenomenal. So the five principles of parenting, sleep is in here they spend half their years sleeping. <laughs> that is true. I never thought about that. Little kids, I mean, and this is important. So we want to make sure that kids have healthy sleep so that it's going to help them for the rest of their lives. And obviously screen use is in here. So Dr. Eliza, wow, what a book. Huge congrats. The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans. And also obviously check out the Raising Good Humans podcast. I... <laughs> This is going to sound so silly. I'm saying it anyway, but like we've been, we've been together on this podcast. I don't even know if you ever look, but they have some sort of rankings for parenting podcasts or whatever. And we've been like side by side a lot of times. So I feel like I've known you, I've known of you for a very long time. We're just hanging out together in the podcast world. So people can definitely check that out too. Now we always end our podcast and I'm, excited about this question because you talked a little bit about it in the book but we end our podcast with the same question and the question is what's a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside and i thought it was cool because you talked about the trees yes i mean the, the pretend play in the forest yes i mean you don't have to put that as your answer but i did like that that was woven into the books and it was so beautiful if it works well with this i mean that was i i remember we would go into this, like, what I thought was a forest, but my mother is like, honey, it was just like, a, like I think there was like a big giant, what I thought was a weeping willow or oak tree. Now I can't remember. No, it was weeping willow. And we would put all the different dolls and clothes and just materials that we collected. And we would just always go there. It was like kind of a a fort of some kind, but just that was created by the canopy of this big giant tree that was somewhere within walking distance of my house. But the rest I, I'm I'm questioning because when I check in, my mom read a draft and she was like, I can't believe that was the thing that you remembered so well. Like it didn't strike her as something that was a big deal in my childhood. And I, it was like the first thing that I was trying when I was thinking back on play memories, I was like, oh my God, remember that place that we used to always go to? Um, So I think that was really interesting that, you know, either my memory created more meaning or my, you know, parents didn't notice how much meaning there was because we just think about totally different things from an adult lens as a kid's lens. Um, but those those moments, I do try to remember when I think about my own kids and what they're going to be remembering, because mm. it's not usually the stuff that we think it is. And it's certainly not like how crappy we were one day. 
Aww. You know? That's really deep. And what's amazing is that it fits with the entire conversation, which is that things can be a little simpler. It didn't even strike your mom at all. And yet it was so meaningful to you because it was a place where you found delight. Delight is right. And where you were able to have your pretend play and probably have a little bit of autonomy. And that's where you would grow and try things out. And I, I sure do love that. And the way you wrote it in the book was so beautiful. The willows and the giant oak and the vines. I mean, what, what more do we need here for our kids? Some vines and a tree. <laughs> and someday they might put in a book. <laughs> Who knows? And I love that you said your grandma liked frogs. Oh my God. She did. <laughs> frogs she only jump frogs. forward. Yeah, just a little trivia for, to close off is that frogs only jump forward, which I've, I'm not sure how well known that is, but I only learned it because my grandmother was obsessed with frogs. And that was like, she wasn't obsessed with frogs like a weird frog lady. She was obsessed with the messaging of the frog and the symbolism of it. Um, and so she collected them in different ways, like figurines and stuffed animals. And it didn't like cover the house. It was just this one area that had these frogs. But then she gave me her frogs because she just knew that that was like a meaningful message to carry on. And I have to say, I don't necessarily quote like the frogs only jump forward in my head when I'm doing my doing of life, but I definitely move forward. And I think that those are the meaningful things that we can capture from our childhood that I hope that, you know, my kid capture, my kids capture. In fact, I have to check with them on the frogs. <laughs> Again, it's not that, it's not as complicated as the world has made it out to be. And if I believed that we could optimize parenting and I believed it was good for our kids and I believed that it was like the way to the path forward, I'd be all for it. I just unfortunately think that it's getting in the way of what we really need to think about in terms of what matters. Mm -hmm. well, Dr. Eliza, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me and for getting everybody outside and playing. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the no guilt mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.